That's the Latin words we get our control from. Contra rotulus. The rotulus was a, uh, a scroll. And the person who had the scroll had power. Kind of like the financial controller or the treasurer in a church. And the word control came because the person who had this authority kind of had the final word. A few weeks ago we did a study on Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and the question arises, what are we to do when kings and rulers and czars and dictators use verses like Ecclesiastes 8 and Romans 13 to demand loyalty to authority? I think all forms of control that get out of control have to be challenged. That is so certainly in behaviour. What happens when in a human relationship somebody begins to exercise manipulative control? Usually the husband, sometimes the wife, sometimes the teenager, the dog's tail wagging the dog. But what are we to do? Are we to disobey the scripture and not challenge authority? There are some large churches that when the controlling pastor is challenged, the verses ripped out of 1 Samuel that says that rebellion is as witchcraft. Only if you look at the verse, it was the king himself who was in rebellion. Well, if you're going to challenge authority, and you need to, when the control is out of order, it's a very good idea to have some idea of how you're going to resolve the conflict in the end. You've got to be specific. If I head into this argument, what is the outcome going to be? Classic example yesterday when my daughter-in-law's container of furniture was told it wasn't going to arrive. Well, that put the cat among the pigeons. And being me, I probably would have got onto the phone and blasted the person and said, look, we've got a contract here, honour your contract. But she, being a little wiser, thought, hang on a minute, the end result is really, I want my furniture. And so some delicate negotiation of kindness took place and the container eventually arrived. Have a good look at the conflict. What will I want to achieve? What will the outcome look like? How long will it take? Will it be a solution that meets the needs of both people? James chapter 4. What causes the fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? You want something and can't get it. You kill and you covet, but you can't have what you want. And you quarrel and you fight, and you don't have because you don't ask God. And when you do ask, you don't receive because you're asking with the wrong motives that you might spend what you have on your pleasure. James goes on further to say something really fascinating. He tells us in James 3.16, and by the way, some years ago I asked a Baptist church if they could recite John 3.16, and to a man and a woman they recited, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
Then I asked them to recite James 3.16 and there was a sort of stuttery silence. Now John 3.16 is the key into eternal life. That's the door that opens up into eternal life. James 3.16 is the key that opens up human relationships because it says, wherever you have envy and selfishness, you will have every other form of evil behavior. Wow! Adam and Eve in the garden, and they were tempted because they began to want to know what God want, knew and to have what God had. Selfishness, envy. And then they got together and sang a duet which was Frank Sinatra's signature tune, I Did It My Way. All sin is the outcome of those two. Sin is not behavioural, it's fundamentally misbelief. C.S. Lewis, the Anglican lay theologian, said, the world, in the world, people don't deny the existence of God, they just will not receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour because they will not have that man Jesus rule over them. So sin itself is nothing more than envy and selfishness. Ah, sins are what our thoughts and our actions do with those two. In my day, when I was a boy, the crooks were the second-hand car dealers. They would put sawdust in the differential to hide the noise of the whining diff, or bananas. Well, in ancient times, it was the second-hand pot dealers. Only the very wealthy in Roman times could afford running water, and the very wealthy aristocratic kind of people got exactly what they deserved because many of them died of lead poisoning because the water came through lead pipes. But most people in ancient times, and certainly in the times of St. Paul, had a great big pot about this big, an earthenware pot. And the slaves, or else the wife, would fill the pot with water, and that was the water supply for the house. Now, the second-hand pot dealers, who were crooks, would have a crack pot. There's a few crack pots here this morning. There's probably one up here. And the dirty dogs would fill the cracks with wax and paint over the cracks. And the lady would buy a cheap pot, take it home, fill it with water, and under the pressure, the pot would leak. So the genuine dealers put a sign on their pots, Sine Ceres, without wax. I made a cup of coffee for one of my clients the other day, lovely painted coffee mug, filled it with lovely hot water, and there's a sort of a bang... And suddenly, the pot, the cup is still there, only there's coffee all over the kitchen. There was a crack that had been painted over. And under the pressure of the hot water, it went everywhere. 
And if you're going to go into a crusade to change conflict situations, it's a very good idea not to have your own cracks of personality just waxed over and glossed over and not fundamentally changed. You see, the scripture says we are to be peacemakers, sowing and reaping a harvest of righteousness. How do you become a peacemaker? Do you have some kind of cowardly pacifism? Peace at any price? When every mature, intelligent person here this morning knows that peace doesn't come that cheaply. Are we to take a challenge? Jesus said so. In Matthew chapter 5, we call them the beautiful attitudes. He said we are to be salt. Salt challenges death. Salt challenges blandness. And we would be light. You can't see without light. And light challenges darkness. Well, okay, if we are going to challenge control that's evil, we've sorted out we want an end result, we've sorted out our motives, we've sorted out the fact now that we do actually have to take a stand what will the challenge look like? If you are in any kind of human relationship, there will be conflict. It is inevitable. You will have different personalities, you'll have different ages, you will have different races, you'll have different genders, you'll have different religious backgrounds. Some of us are losing more hair than others. We are all different, and if you are in any meaningful relationship with another human being, and there isn't some sort of conflict, you have to come to the inevitable conclusion that one of the two of you is dead. <laughs> uh, some years ago, I was in Chicago at the World Leadership Summit and was privileged to hear Dr. Henry Cloud give one of his lectures that he gives to the Fortune 500 companies on uh, conflict resolution. And Dr. Henry Cloud says that there are three kinds of people. The first ones are wise people. Now, you know these are wise people because when you confront them on any issue at all to discuss you know they're wise people because that's the response you're going to get. So keep doing it because you'll get change. Proverbs 9.8 says, rebuke a wise man and he will love you. So we're nice people and that's the way human relationships go. By the way, wise people can still hurt us. They don't mean to and they need to be challenged. But Henry says we've got to have more than just one tool in our toolbox because over here is a group of people called fools. Now if you confront them, you know you're dealing with a fool because that's the response you get. So why keep talking? Why keep discussing? Why keep rebuking? There will be no change. So Henry Cloud says, you have to put in consequences. I love his story of the lady who came to see him and her husband was an alcoholic, abusive physically and sexually. And after seeing Henry Cloud, she waited for him to come home, slightly sloshed and aggressive. And she said to him, 
I'm never going to talk to you again, Harry, about your abuse in your drinking. Hallelujah, he says. No, she says, we're going to talk about why we can't talk about it. And one more outburst from you. Here's a lawyer's letter. I will be gone, the children will be gone, and half your estate will be gone. Because with foolish people, you have to set consequences. Proverbs 9.8 goes on to say, Rebuke a mocker, a fool, and he will hate you. Now wise people hurt you, and you need to confront them. Foolish people hurt you, and you need to confront them. You know, if I flick sulfuric acid into my musician friend's face, is it going to make any difference to his face whether I'm doing it accidentally or on purpose? The result will be the same. And in relationships, whether people mean to hurt us or not, the pain is real. But hang on a minute, Henry says. There's a third group of people and these are evil people. Now, if you confront them, their intention is to hurt you. And it remains their intention to hurt you. And in that case, Henry Cloud says, you need lawyers, guns, and money. Because you've got to protect yourself. Because abuse has to be protected against. How many of you were appalled at that recent decision by that judge here in Auckland? A famous comedian sexually abuses his four-year-old daughter and the judge condemns him? No. She exonerates him because she says he makes people laugh and we need more people to make people laugh. That is sick. And by the way, Jesus didn't say that. Indeed, Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 6, I think it is, he said, it were better for a man to be hung a millstone round his neck and be drowned into the sea. That's not the PC Jesus we're entitled or being brainwashed to believe, is it? And all the synoptic gospels record that account. Abuse has to stop. And the tragedy is it is all too relevant and all too ex exampled in our relationships. What do I mean by abuse? Physical? Yep. Sexual? Yes. Financial? Yes. Manipulating mind games? Yes. What are we going to do with anger in relationships? We've already established that in all relationships it will happen. Well, there are four things you can do with anger. First of all, the Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. It doesn't mean to say you fix the anger. It simply says you go to bed having some resolution that you may have to address the problem in the morning. The Bible says, be angry, but don't sin. This brain of ours won't work without anger. It's the spark plug that makes the engine go. But it's what we do with anger that is important. For example, you can vent it, if you like. It'll make you feel very powerful, initially. It'll make you feel good. You've blasted off. Only it's going to hurt the other person. And we know that if you hurt the other person, you'll cause pain. And make them angry. 
And by the way, if you're a sensitive person, you'll be embarrassed and humiliated by the fact that you lost your temper. Proverbs tells us a fool loses his temper, but a wise man holds it in. So yes, you can vent your anger if you like, not very profitable. Or you can repress it. When we were down in Wanaka, we watched some people going up a cliff face, like flies going up a wall. And I've just recently discovered that the the trick is someone's gone up there beforehand and there's put little footholds that they can actually lock into. Do you really want to give the devil that kind of climbing advantage in your life? The scripture says if you hold on to anger, you'll give a foothold to the enemy. So, repressing it still leaves it there, right within us. Another thing you can do with it, you can suppress it. Mount St. Helena was a huge mountain in the United States of America. The magma underneath the thing was suppressed. The volcanic opening at the top of the volcano had ossified over, and so you had huge magma buildup, and eventually when the thing blew, it blew out about a third of the mountain. And if you suppress anger, sooner or later that will happen. The fourth thing you can do with anger is confess it. When we work with children, we use a little book for anger, which is called There's a Volcano in My Tummy. Own it. Confess it. I feel really hurt when you spoke to me with that attitude. I feel put down when you talk to me in that way. Own it and confess it. In a marriage, this is particularly important. When two people marry, there's a huge reduction in their emotional free space. There's a huge reduction in the freedoms that they had. So here we are in a marriage like two people in a space capsule in perpetual orbit. A bit silly to be struggling over who's got the controls. You might just send the whole thing plummeting to earth in a flaming mess. The Bible says it's important that as Christ has accepted us, we have to learn to accept the other person. What gives me the right to go on a crusade to change Beverly before I've fundamentally looked at making some changes in here? I like the story about the woman who took her husband to the Valley of Echoes in America and the poor fellow is still there. He's shouting like mad to get the last word. (laughs) How are we going to positively resolve these conflicts? You can do two things. You can deny that conflict's there. Go bury your head in the sand. And if you do that, you will avoid taking any responsibility for your behaviour, for your attitude, for the consequences. And if you go down that road, then you'll finish up in one of two squares. 
How many of you saw the movie The Stepford Wives? A horror movie about women who had been so controlled by their husbands they worked like computer automatons. I worked with some couples where one of the partners actually does that. To survive in the marriage, they just comply out of the fear of being challenged or unloved. Or else you can go over into the other box and that's where evil control and manipulation occurs. Terroristic control. And you know, the silly thing is, the outcome of that in here is fighting and squabbling and power struggles and isolation and separation and eventually things like divorce. Simply because at the start of the conflict and control, one of the parties decided to go down this road. Now that's not very bright. How much wiser it would be to say in the conflict situation, what can I learn? If I do that, I immediately embrace the emotional issue. I immediately embrace the consequences and my behaviour. Now if I do that, then I'm on an exploration about me. What's happening to me now? And also, what's happening to the other person? And if I go down the exploration road, the outcome will be love and joy, prayer and passion, sex and love, forgiveness, healing, and the resolution of the conflict. Don't we have to lead? There's a healthy relationship. Husband and wife. Albert and Barbara. But I deal with couples where it rather looks like this. And Barbara is being so infiltrated by Albert, he is like a tank trundling into her space. And like all good attacked persons, she's in behind some sandbags here with a sniper's rifle. And she has put little booby traps all around where the tank is. And the poor fellow doesn't know which booby trap is going to go off because they're all triggered. They're called fine points. And some women, you guys, are like hedgehogs. You can't get near them for their fine points. (laughs) So the tank stops. Bang! And she sneaks out behind the uh, sandbags with her sniper rifle and shoots him as he pokes his head out of the turret of the tank to see what's going on. That's not healthy boundaries. That's unfortunately Christian marriage in too many circumstances. How important it is to have a clear boundary. A clear boundary of where two people are to function. Now, doesn't the Bible say, however, girls, that you have to submit to us blokes? Oh, I'm going to open up a can of worms here, and we need to. The Greek word is hupatasso. 
It means voluntarily putting yourself under something for order. Where is it found? Well, let's look at some of the general verses quickly. It's in Romans 10.3 where Paul wants Israel to voluntarily submit to God. It's in 1 Corinthians 16.6 where Paul wants the church to voluntarily submit to Stephanus as their pastor. It's in James 4.7 where God wants us to voluntarily submit to God. It's in 2 Peter 2.13 where he wants us to voluntarily submit to authority. And by the way, young people, it's in 1 Peter 5.5, young people should be submissive to those who are older. Can I say something complimentary here? I'm an old man. And I have found the young people in this church to be extremely respectful of older people. So they get an A plus for me on that one. Well, okay, that's the word hupotasso. But hang on, doesn't it have some references to wives being submitted to their husbands? Yes, it does. There are four references, and three of them you have to put aside. The first one is Colossians 3.18. The second one is 1 Peter 3.1, and the other is 1 Peter 3.5. They have to be put aside because they're all linked to slavery. Those are the verses that say slaves must obey their masters. Oh, by the way, wives must obey their husbands. So the only thing you can conclude is that those scriptures had a cultural setting at that time. That is, unless you want to re-advocate slavery here at Shaw Community Church. Which reminded me of the little joke that Mary had a little lamb. It was given her to keep. And then it joined the pack-down team and died from lack of sleep. <laughs> so we've only got one verse left. Ephesians 5... By the way, that verse in Peter says, Men, if you want your prayers answered, treat your wives respectfully. Now, the only trouble with Ephesians 5.22 is the Greek word hupotasso is not there. And it's not there for a very good reason. Because it's in the verse above. And by the way, the NIV, I wish they wouldn't put titles in chapters, but the NIV has got it very wrong because it puts husband and wives after verse 21 instead of before verse 21. And you see, verse 21 says, out of your submission to God, you submit to each other, man, woman. I don't know why in my work men are cubes and squared and women are round, but never mind. Now, many of my clients in therapy are not Christians. So what are we to do? Well, they better put the family, the marriage, the relationship as more important than they are. Otherwise, you have to have something that is great, greater than the sum of the two of you. And you see, what the, the Bible teaches in Ephesians 5.21 is prove that you have submitted to something greater. And the easy way to do that is the way you learn to submit to each other. We've got a plethora of broken relationships in this country. 
the statistics on divorce are sad. And half the difficulties are because in this PC world in which we live, nobody is prepared to call right, right, and wrong, wrong, like that judge in that recent case. Conflict is there. I wouldn't be standing here today if my wife hadn't courageously confronted sin in my life. Now look, when we have proved that we are submitted to this, this isn't difficult. This becomes incredibly difficult submitting to each other if you haven't submitted first to God or to something that is greater than the sum of the two of you. And by the way, that is the only reference in the New Testament to submission. God is not saying, wives, you have to submit to men. God is saying, man and wife, submit to me, Lord God Almighty. And out of that submissive attitude, then learn to work things out together. Oh, by the way, some of you will be saying, oh yes, but the Bible says the man is the head of the home. Well, look at your Bible. Five times in that Ephesians verse, he is commanded to love his wife as Christ loved the church. We've just seen earlier on what Jesus did with authority. So when a man emulates the humility of Christ, when a man is prepared to die for his wife and his family, his wife is commanded to respect such a fellow. And I don't think that's difficult. In so many relationships, uh, uh, sin occurs. We all make mistakes. We're not perfect. Well, Beverly's not. <laughs> but when, when, when these things occur, there has to be hope for resolution. I can give you books on psychology till you're blue. But in the end, the only way it works is when we learn how to submit to what Jesus wants. What does God want? Can it be God's will for a family to be ripped apart? Could it have been God's will for me to see my dad walk out when I was seven and a half and never see him again? And the damage this causes to people is massive. Beverly and I for years conducted divorce recovery workshops around New Zealand. I remember going on broadcast with Leighton Smith and we have to go off the air because so many phone calls came in from people in damaged relationships. One a professional engineer was committing suicide on Narrow Neck Beach and heard the message on his transistor. He's actually going to swim to Rangitoto Island and drown himself, only his dog came with him and he didn't want his dog to drown. And he's on the beach in tears and heard the broadcast. Now, divorce? Most Christians would say, yes, I know the verse on divorce. It says God hates divorce. Well, look it up in its context. That verse is about men weeping because God's not answering their prayers. That verse is about people who have not guarded their attitude. And the scripture says, God hates divorce, says the Lord God Almighty. In the same way, God hates a man who covers over his anger as if he was covering it with a garment. 
So if we're going to confront issue and conflict, let's guard our spirits. There will be few times, men, will you will exercise that kind of final decision in the relationship. I urge you to do it in a Christ-like manner. You know, we never close a service at Shaw without saying to people, if God has spoken to you, you can come forward to a place of prayer because God is here. And if some of you who haven't yet decided to make Christ your personal saviour, will you remember that he's just a prayer away? Lord, we thank you for inviting us to share the relationship you have, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, for giving us a hunger for right relationships. We need you, Lord, we do. And we pray that your love and your grace will be there for us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Connection Point is a joint production between Connection Resources and Shore Community Christian Church. If you would like a free copy of today's message, please email us or phone us on 0800 90 30 90. To subscribe to our free podcasts or to listen to the latest message, go to connectionresources.org.nz. Thank you.